You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times, with A.J. Swoboda and E.J. Gupta. Welcome back. In our last uh, Slow Theology episode, we were talking about the Incarnation, and we're going to talk today about the next couple of lines in the Apostles' Creed. Well, I'll read again just so that we have a context here, but the the Creed begins, uh, the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. We're going to spend some time today and talk about those last few lines that deal with the death of Jesus and what the death of Jesus accomplishes um, uh, on the cross, on a Roman cross uh, in the first uh, century. That's interesting to me, Nijay. I think you're going to probably have quite a few thoughts on this as well, but it's interesting that the creed goes out of its way to name the person who um, makes the decision to have Jesus crucified, the enemy, uh, as it were, the, the, the bad guy is included in the creed. Now, I, I, um, forgiveness. For, I, forgiveness is a tough topic um, because it brings up, not only does it bring up emotions, but it's a complicated topic because when you forgive somebody, does that mean you forget? Right. Does forgiving mean you forget? And, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of us are taught you know, if you've really forgiven somebody, you forget from east to west, you, you don't think about it anymore. But when Jesus dies on the cross, he, you know, he, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's conceivably speaking about Pontius Pilate, um, that when he declares these words, he's declaring uh, a word of forgiveness over those that played their hands in, in his death. And yet Pontius Pilate is named in the creed. And I'm, I don't know. I wonder if part of uh, the act of forgiveness, part of the act of, um, of of good health is not forgetting our history and not forgetting our past. The Pontius Pilate is named here hmm. is a simple invitation to, I think, reimagine what it means to walk through uh, healing and that healing is not the ignorance of our history. It's the baptism of our history in the grace of God. That that Pontius Pilate is named is significant, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he represents. Um, you know, he represents the power of the world. He represents. You know, the kind of. He's a, a name and a face that's applied to. What the world has become because of sin. I'm not saying that makes Pontius Pilate the worst person to ever have existed. But um, what's interesting, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, AJ, maybe it's a simple observation, but how many passives there are in, in this whole section, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. All of these things are happening to Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, I think we mentioned this the first week, but the creed isn't meant to be read alone. It's meant to be read with scripture. It's kind of a decoder or a guide to scripture. Um, what we realize when we read the gospels along with the creed is these things aren't just happening to Jesus. He's letting them happen to him. 
right? There is action in the passivity, which is it's kind of weird to think about. But for me, pilot pilot stands for um, how the world wants to evaluate somebody, mm. right? And you know what I like to talk to my students about. We're kind of getting into the getting into the you know atonement questions here. But what what my students what I often get into my students with is. It's not enough to say Jesus died for your sins. Yes, we say that, but it actually matters that he died on a cross. How he died mattered. It's not that God just sent his son to earth and said, okay, if he dies in his sleep, that's still atoning. You know, if he dies in war, I think it matters that he's coming face to face with the face of power, the face of um, imperial conquest-driven Roman power. That doesn't mean that only Rome killed Jesus. I mean, he died for for our sins. But I do think Pontius Pilate stands for something. He stands for the way of the world, right? Um, and, and, And his suffering actually then has meaning because he's not... There's one view of atonement, which I think is wrong, that Jesus just had to suffer a whole bunch. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, and, and then that atones somehow. You know, I, do you remember the movie The Mission from when we were... Oh, yeah. When young? we were kids. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and this guy had to do penitence, so they tied some big weight to his back, and I think he had to climb some hill. That's, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, you know, God doesn't just want to make our lives miserable to make us realize how bad we are. I don't think that's, I don't think that's it. Um, what I think is happening with Pontius Pilate is um, God is is showing us what's wrong with that particular way of being hmm. human. Hmm. And, and he, he kind of stands in for that. Yeah, and he's crushed. Jesus is crushed by the weight of empire. Mm-hmm. Um, he's crushed by the weight of um, the, the super global power of his time. And refuses to reciprocate that form of power in his resurrection. You know, Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb uh, with a with a with a gun ready to come back and, and take out everybody who took him down. Is his form of revenge is resurrection. You you you're gonna kill me with the power that you have, and I'm going to be resurrected in power in a way that does not reflect the way that you, uh, the way that you're going to model it for me. I remember years ago. In fact, I'm writing a book right now on the topic of desire, and one of the the most important figures in the history of the the West who's written about desire is a guy named Rene Girard, who writes about yeah. what he calls mimetic desire. And this is one of the most. I, I talked about this the last time we were we were recording together. But this idea that we tend to reflect the desires of other people that we reflect the desires of those around us. We, that desires are sticky. We see somebody wants something and we want that thing because that other person wants it. So what's interesting to me is that the, the refusal of Jesus to mimic the powers uh, that crushed him, he, he, he does not, he has a capacity to show us a different way in the midst of his own. So not only is he accomplishing our salvation on the cross, but in the process is showing us the way of accomplishing it. Um, my friend Mandy Smith always says, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't bring the kingdom in an empire way. He brings the kingdom in a kingdom way. He doesn't, he doesn't do the kingdom of God in an empire way, and neither should we. Um, that we should have the goals of Jesus with the way of Jesus. 
um, not the goal of Jesus in the way of the, the empire. It, but the, you, you mentioned the passives. I mean, this is odd. This is odd language and seems a bit repetitive, repetitive to me. He suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. Yeah. Crucified, died, and was buried. It seems a bit unnecessarily repetitive to me. Why not just say he died? Why? Right. Why? Or, but why died and buried? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You're a New Testament scholar. There were some people that were contending that Jesus didn't actually die, and that there there were some things swirling in the water. Uh, people saying, ah, he 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 got hurt, but he didn't die, or uh, his body was taken, or something like that. So there's a point underneath this, and and yeah. it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, DJ, but the point is. He didn't, like, kind of die. Like, this was a real death. Rigor mortis set in. Uh, his body started to harden. Correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that accurate? Yeah, so, the, you know, the fact that Gospels take so much time to emphasize that he's put in this tomb, it's sealed, there are soldiers, you know, they want they want people to know that this wasn't some kind of trick. Um, because, you know, the resurrection does seem unusual yes <laughs> um, you know so they want to go you know go some ways to doing that I think there's a theological reason why they mention this though the theological reason is the world uh, has a particular way of doing away with somebody uh, of proving that somebody is rejected or unimportant Scapegoating, Rome? scapegoating, doing away with somebody. Yeah, that's right. And Rome actually had lots of forms of execution. You could be, you could be stabbed. You could be beheaded. You could be hanged. There's so many different ways of executing somebody. They had a menu of options. Crucifixion was a very specific form of punishment for a specific reason. It was actually reserved for the worst kinds of criminals, and it was actually known as a punishment for rebellious slaves. I think this is one of the reasons in Philippians 2, Paul says that when in the incarnation, Jesus came in the form of a slave. He actually didn't come in the form of a slave. He came in the form of a Galilean, right? Uh, Galilean, you know, peasant. Why does he say he came in the form of a slave? I think it's actually hinting at the fact that he will die a slave's death. And mm. there, there's a number of Roman writers that say... What makes crucifixion despicable is not just that it's painful, is not just even that it's long, but that you become a spectacle to the world. So we often see paintings or we think of there being three people on a cross, Jesus and two thieves. Actually, the Greek word is leistes, which means uh, terrorists or insurrectionists, right? like Barabbas, right? These aren't like people that stole some gum from 7-Eleven, these, the people that are crucified are seen as the worst of the worst of society, people that should be re rejected from society. So actually, uh, if you remember the story of Spartacus, mm -hmm. which is a fascinating story of this massive slave rebellion, uh, Spartacus himself may have been a trained warrior, became a gladiator and then rebelled. Uh, I think six to 10,000 people were crucified in that rebellion. So we're, we're talking highways of crucifixion. And this idea of crucified, dead, and buried means the world has put its stamp of rejection on this person. Um, you, you know, when I'm having a bad day, it's like, you know, 
I didn't get enough sleep or, um, you know, I was late for a meeting or whatever it is. Jesus was, this was more than Jesus having a bad day, right? Jesus went through everything the world could offer in terms of rejection. I think that's what the creed is saying, right? Crucified, right? Which means the world has put its stamp of rejection on Jesus. Dead, meaning his life is gone, like he breathed his last. And buried means forget about him, completely forget about him. He's done. There's an old uh, 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 text I found, I can't remember exactly where I found this, that said for some crucified people, Rome would actually bring their family members, like their children, maybe nieces and nephews, and kill them in front of the person being crucified as a way of saying, when you die, nobody in your family can restore your family's name. And that actually goes, whether that's true or not, that goes along with this mentality that crucifixion is the great honor destroyer. And honor was the most important commodity in the ancient world. And to have that taken away from you, even for Jesus, remember, you know, you and I have reflected on this before. When Jesus said, let this cup pass me by, that means he didn't want to do this. Mm. There's a part of him that didn't want to do this because he's going to lose some something in this I think all those statements about crucified dead buried is saying Jesus was willing to go the entire way not just halfway not three quarters way the entire way to lose everything Hmm. because he was sent by the father for this gracious mission And, and had in the in the meantime has the capacity in his death ironically has the capacity to bring together people who would normally hate each other. The, it seems to me the Gospels go out of their way to communicate that even communities like the Sadducees and Pharisees, who would, in the first century, uh, have significant animosity against each other, have actually come together on one team to stamp their approval on the death of Jesus. So in an ironic way, Jesus, in his death, creates unity among even the, the lions and the lambs yes. are laying down together in, in, the, in the death of Jesus. So, here, okay, so Nijay, let's, let's talk then about what his death accomplishes. So in, right. in theology, we call this atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, atonement is the idea of some sort of uh, death brings about, or blood brings about some sort of reconciliation or rightness. Well, of course, this story goes all the way very, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 3, when the man and the woman sin, uh, they clothe themselves, but then God clothes them, but he clothes them with skin from an animal. It's the first death in the Bible. And, of course, in order to do this, God had to kill an animal in order for the animal's skin to be used to cover the man and the woman. And so throughout the Bible, this premonition of atonement is rooted all the way back in Genesis 3, the starting place of this idea that blood covers, blood uh, atones or blood Uh, fixes or makes right. So in the Christian tradition, the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus represents the ultimate uh, atonement for our sin before God, that we are freed from the powers of darkness and evil, and it no longer uh, holds sway over us, and the fear of death no longer needs to conquer our souls and our hearts. But you and I both know this. There's a lot of debate as to what that atonement actually looks like. You have, for example, penal substitutionary atonement theory or um, Christus Victor. You have um, 
um, moral sway theory, which is, you know, a kind of view that um, Jesus sort of morally led the world into a new way of existing. There's a lot of different ways to think about uh, atonement. And I, I tend to think, I don't know what, what you think about this. I, I think that there are basically two kinds of atonement theories. There are basically on one side what we would call objective atonement theories, um, which would say a, a variety of atonement theories that would say that at the cross, something actually changed. That right. before the cross, something was unavailable and the cross fixes something. Actually, the cross does something. Yeah. And then on the other hand, uh, atonement theories that we would call subjective atonement theories that will tend to say something like this. The cross is a metaphor for God's love, but it doesn't really fix anything. It doesn't really accomplish anything, but it is a metaphor for God's love. As a theologian, I'm comfortable saying that uh, subjective atonement theories are uh, what we would call hot garbage, and that uh, <laughs> that objective atonement theories um, actually declared that the cross accomplishes something. Now, what what atonement theory we we buy into? I think there's a lot of debate about that, and I actually love Scott Wright's image of atonement theories, where he uh, says, you know, atonement theories are a little bit like. Uh, you know, golf clubs that you need a different club for a different moment. And I I think that's a really helpful image because I think there are times that different atonement theories can have uh, importance. So long as we all agree that the cross is not mere metaphor, but the cross represents an actual change in our relationship before God. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, how many hours do we have? But I'll just say a few things. You know, in terms of objective, subjective, um, you know, objective is, is definitely true in the sense that what Jesus did in, in you know, one point in history made a difference forever. You know, he died for sins once for all, et cetera, et cetera. Um, subjectively, though, we talk about, you know, I got saved on this day. You know, we can look back to a specific day and I got saved. Um, there's a subjective element of that because we know that we were chosen from birth. Just like Paul says, I was chosen from birth. And yet he can pinpoint a specific day where he met Christ. How can that be possible? So, you know, there's the kind of um, outside perspective where Jesus did something for the world at one point in time. And then there's that human perspective where we say, I got saved. But, you know, I 100% agree with you. Something really happened. One kind of myth I want to dispel is this idea that Jesus is the good guy and the father is the bad guy. Bad Mm -hmm. cop, good cop which is extremely common even if people don't always name it. And it's this idea that God demands judgment. He has his hand open. Give me something. You owe this to me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take care of this. Um, that I think that's hot garbage because it makes Jesus into this abused savior. Child. Yeah. And it makes, you know, God the Father into this, you know, villain with, you know, a mustache that he twirls, you know, or something like that. The reality is the father sent the son, right? We have to be careful not to, you know, perpetuate, you know, these these ideas about the Bible. Um, theories. Okay, so some people may not know what penal substitutionary atonement is, and they may they may uh, not know that penal and penis are not <laughs> connected to this particular theory. <laughs> these are important insights that you get in slow theology. Yes. Penal means punishment, yes, right? Yes, um, yes. So let me just explain it, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. So, you know, penal substitution atonement is essentially exchange, this idea that because of human sin, uh, you know, we humans 
uh, are liable for the wrath of God, right? And, you know, this is, you know, Luther really cared a lot about this, you know, where, where Jesus Christ steps in, you know, we deserve punishment, which is the penal part. Substitution is we get swapped out and Jesus gets swapped in, right? It's exchange and atonement is he takes the penalty and all of that. I would say theoretically there's some truth to that in the sense that Jesus is a great sacrifice, right? He satisfies, you know, these concerns and demands of God. Uh, when we stop there, though, the problem is Christianity can seem just like cosmic paperwork. Okay, someone wants to pay my penalty, sign on the dotted line. Great, I'm going to go now. I don't need to stick around at church because Jesus paid the price. You know, that 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 idea takes away a relationship with God um, or makes it this really cheap transactional thing. I want to share a theory with you. I'm wondering, I'm probably guessing you've never heard before because it's not a classic theory, but it may be related to theories that you've heard, but it's called the inoculation theory. And it still preserves some of this element of sacrifice. I get this actually from James D.G. Dunn, a.k.a. Jimmy. And he wrote this in a couple of books, but it didn't really get out there. But here's the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus dies for all, not just as kind of a one-off atoning act, but actually to create a kind of theological vaccine within himself so that when we experience death or sin, we are inoculated to... You know, it's killing effects. So this idea that Jesus says to us, hey, listen, you're going to, you know, AJ, you're a sinner. You're going to have to die. But the good news is with what I create in my blood, I can help you to the other side. And this is actually related a lot to participationistic approaches that say, you know, my favorite Bible verse, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Life I live in the body, I live by faith, the Son of God loved me, gave self for me. We can't avoid crucifixion. That's what Galatians says, right, AJ? There isn't this great exchange where I go scot-free. You know, the, I have to be crucified too, but the good news is I get to be crucified with Christ, right? Baptism, one of my, if you're, if you're ever going to see me cry in church, AJ, it's either at one of my children's weddings, or a baptism. There's no better day for me than to be at a baptism at church. I was just at one this past weekend with a family friend. And when this child, I think 10-year-old maybe, is going into the water, right, they're being buried with Christ. And then when they're brought out of the water, they're being raised. But here's the thing, right? We don't just get up there and say, hey, you're raised. You know, blow a blow dryer on them. They have to go into the water, right? That's that's part mm. of the deal. Mm. So what, what I love about those kind of participation or inoculation theories is the idea that there's no way around suffered under Pontius Pilate. There's no way around crucified, dead, was buried, even for us. But the good news is the creed goes on. That that's mm. kind of what I mm. take away. What do you think of that? Am I a heretic? I think that's beautiful. I mean, it, it makes an unbelief a really interesting form of anti-vax, I guess, uh, in, <laughs> in a sense. Like if, if it's all about Jesus as our vaccine, then um, I don't want to be an anti-vaxer. But no, I mean the reality is, um, 
I, I, I mean, I, I, th- these are th- there's a reason we call these theories, and right. and there there are there are ways of explaining. They have explanatory power, but the minute we isolate one theory as though it has total explanatory power, could p- potentially minimize the importance yeah. of the death of Jesus. And these are again all ways of describing, but. Um, no theory can replace the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus is where we find our life before God and the resurrection of Christ is the, the ultimate expression of God's love on our behalf. And how we debate uh, these theoretical concepts is important, but at the end of the day, they have different purposes at different moments in time, and we should be, we should be open to the, to, the, to the beauty of various theories at, at those different moments. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess we don't have time to get into hell, but uh, maybe we can next time because it's the next Woo! line of the creed. But uh, <laughs> we should. That bullet. We we didn't have to deal with that here, but we can at least say Jesus died, and in His death accomplishes on our behalf such tremendous benefits and blessings. Yep. Um, so praise God for that. 